Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every week as he talks with the greats of the game. You are the smartest guy I've spoken to on radio or television in my career. And Chris, again, you are, you're knocking out of the park. You're like eight under par in this interview. By having any research, I'm hiring your tail to be the research man. You're the best. You're a fantastic host and tremendously respected in the golf community. Yeah, Chris, you do an amazing job and your listeners are super lucky to have you and it's always my pleasure. Chris Carroll is the king of the golf podcast. Don't miss him on Tuesdays. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for coming back and pressing the play button on this week's edition of Next on the Tee. I appreciate that you continue to make this show a part of your weekly golf content. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and I've been looking forward to this week's show for a long time because I have four great friends who also happen to be fantastic guests that I'm going to get to share with you tonight. First up is going to be John Cook. Cookie is one of the great guys in our game. He had a tremendous amount of success as an amateur. He won the 1978 U.S. Amateur Championship. A year later, he helped Ohio State win the National Championship. In all, he won 21 times between the PGA Tour and the Champions Tour. We're going to talk about some of those wins, plus the course design work that he's done, particularly at North Star Golf Club outside of Columbus, Ohio. I also want to get his thoughts on the Ryder Cup, the upcoming World Champions Cup on the Champions Tour. So a whole lot to get into, which I can't wait to have him as part of the show. He's going to join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from 1978 PGA champion John Mahaffey. And John is a fantastic guest. He's become a wonderful friend of this show over the last few years. I love it when I get to have him as part of Next on the Tee. We're going to go back to that 78 PGA championship. It was played at Oakmont. We'll hear how he navigated those greens and brought home the trophy, despite being down seven strokes with 14 holes to play. I also want to get his memories of Andy Bean plus what it was like being a part of that victorious 1979 Ryder Cup team that he was a part of along with Andy Bean. A lot to get into with John as well. Looking forward to having him here tonight. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Following him, one of my all-time favorites, Bob Friend Jr., is going to be here. He and I are going to go deep into Western Pennsylvania golf. He played in and won so many tournaments in the Western Pennsylvania area. We're going to talk about those, plus some of his favorite events and favorite courses around the area. He'll join me later on in the hour. And then we're going to round things out with a return visit from Top 100 instructor Eric Johnson. He is fantastic. Always makes this segment so much fun to be a part of. Both he and Bob have been great contributors to this show going all the way back to Season 1. Eric was the Director of Instruction at Oakmont for almost 20 years. He now spends his summers teaching at Yellowstone Club in Big Sky, Montana. We'll hear what this year was like for him out there. He's back in Pittsburgh now. I'm going to get his thoughts on some of the great courses in and around the Pittsburgh metro area. Plus, he recently took a trip out west to play Pebble Beach, Cypress Point, and Monterey Peninsula Country Club. He doubled down on that by going out and playing Pine Valley after that. You want to talk about a great series of golf courses. It doesn't get much better than those. I can't wait to hear those stories. He is going to join me about an hour from now. So, folks, it's going to be a fun and informative lineup tonight on this week's edition of Next on the Tee. As always, thank you all so much for tuning in 
and taking the journey with me tonight. Our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, and I have been working with a company called Kickpoint, and they have done some magical things with our logos and create some polo shirts with some wonderful designs where they take our logos and turn them into designs on a polo shirt. They're absolutely outstanding. Kickpoint Golf is a private label custom golf apparel company making bespoke polo shirts, quarter zips, and hoodies for those selected clubs looking to take their branded game to a whole new level. If you want to check out their apparel, and again, it's going to knock your socks off, send an email to info at kickpointgolf.com. They'll get right back to you. There's no middleman. They're going to go right to the guys that do this work. You're going to check it out, and you are really going to love what they do. I'm going to start showing the uh, polo shirts that they've designed for me on my Instagram, at CT Mascaro. Check them out there so you can get a sample of what they look like. These guys know where it's at. Now let's talk about golf getaways and buddies trip locations. When you're thinking about that, think about our friends over at the McLemore which is a wonderful resort located just south of Chattanooga, Tennessee, high atop Lookout Mountain. It is a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the U.S. by Golf Digest. The 18th hole is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Keep, is under construction and will open summer of 2024. The Keep is a Bill Bergen Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge, with every inch of that edge filled up with a golf hole. A world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton will open spring of 2024. Both have incredible views into historic McLemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. You gotta see it to believe it, folks. Stay dine and play golf above the clouds at McLemore. Go online to McLemore.com to book your stay and play package. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lampkin grips. Every shot, as you know, has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus black grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability with their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel on your hand shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Now back with me is 21-time winner between the PGA Tour and Champions Tour, John Cook. John is from Toledo, Ohio, but grew up in Southern California. He went back and played his college golf at Ohio State, where he was a three-time All-American. He helped them win three consecutive Big Ten titles from 1977 to 1979 and the 1979 National Championship. John won six individual titles while he was there at Ohio State. He also won the Les Bostead Award for the lowest stroke average in the conference each year from 1977 to 1979, and he was inducted into the Ohio State Hall of Fame in 1986. John won the U.S. Amateur Championship in 1978 and finished second to Marco Mira in 79. He won several amateur championships, including the California State Am in 1975, and the Ohio Amateur in 1978 and 79. 
He would later turn pro in 79. He won his first PGA Tour event in 1981 at the Bing Crosby National Pro-Am. He won again in 1983 at the Canadian Open, beating Johnny Miller in a playoff. John has seven top 10 finishes in majors. He was named the 1992 PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. In 2013, he was inducted into the Southern California Golf Association's Hall of Fame, and I couldn't be more excited that I get to have him back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Cookie, thanks for coming back on the show. You know, I love it, Chris, listening to you uh, talk about a resume and and what I've done. I've forgotten a lot of that, but you know what <laughs> sticks out to me? That Bless Bolstead Award, three years in a row. I, I had forgotten that, honestly. Uh, in the Big Ten, so and, you know, Big Ten's strong in in golf, and they they have been, and it, it's great fun. I, anytime you want me to come on, I am willing and able. I love talking to you. You are you're you're the best. Honestly, you're the best. Well, I appreciate that very much, John. <laughs> so let's stay right there in the Big Ten before we get into the golf stuff. Your Ohio State Buckeyes are sitting number one in the college football playoff pool. Georgia right behind them at number two. Your boys came close last year to beating them in the playoffs. Is this the year they get over the hump? Well, they were a timeout away from beating that team. I promise you that. <laughs> that was a very well-timed timeout that uh, um, that that they took. But uh, yeah, they were close last year. Um, you know, they they had some flaws last year. This year, I'm a little bit surprised, honestly, at the one uh, until you beat the until you beat the guy. Uh, I, I could. Certainly see where Georgia should be ranked number one. I'm fine with that. It's still, from here on out, Chris, it is win and survive. That's all you do. You cannot lose a game from here on out. You can't do it. I don't care who you are or who you lose to. You cannot lose a game. So, um, you know, those top four teams, that they know that those teams that they're playing, uh, they're, you know, they're getting ready for the best team that they're ever going to play. And Ohio State is no different. Michigan is no different. Georgia is no different. Florida State is no different. Those teams have to win out. One loss will eliminate them. Um, I feel pretty good. I love our defense. I love our will to win. I love our adjustments being made throughout the game, not just the start, but you have to get it to the finish line. Ohio State's been able to do that against a couple of very, very good teams. And away on uh, away from the shoe, uh, a, a pretty good win at Wisconsin. I'll say a, a, a pretty good win at Notre Dame. Notre Dame has an incredibly difficult schedule, so they're not going to be at their best every single week. I get that. Penn State at home, that's a nice win. We're going to see where Michigan is as they go to Happy Valley this weekend. We'll see where Michigan is because they have not been tested at all yet. Um, but, uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. I'm, I'm pretty good with where we're at. I'd like to see our offense be a little more consistent, a little more healthy as we go along. They have not been healthy this year, but, um, I think the Kyle McCord with all the haters that are out there, he's nine and oh, by the way, he's nine and oh, he won a game last year. He's also, uh, eight and oh this year. Let's Kyle McCord's got the reins. He's got the steering wheel. He's got a lot of weapons around him. All he has to do is not hit the curb. Just keep it in the lane and throw to your guys. Let your guys get involved. I think Kyle McCord is just fine. Well, there you go. I tell you, I'm down here in Atlanta. <laughs> I'm down here in Atlanta. A lot of UJ, obviously. So 
you know. I was I was there last week, Chris. I was Is doing that the right? East Lake Cup. I was there last week doing the East Lake Cup, and uh, yeah, I heard a lot of that. And I I promise you, I'm if if Georgia was one and we were two, I would be fine with that as well. Georgia, until you beat the guy, that's you right. You gotta beat the guy. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. That's that that's where I get kind of sideways in the polls. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For sure. George is the guy. <laughs> George is row. the guy. How in the world do you leapfrog the guy that's won it two years in a row? That's a head scratch. Twenty five in a, twenty five in a row. How do you how do you leave that guy out? I don't. That's I, right. I don't get it honestly. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little golf, Cookie. I want to go back to your win at the nineteen eighty three Canadian Open. You win that event in a playoff over Johnny Miller, and Johnny was arguably the best player on tour from seventy three to eighty three. You guys went six playoff holes, and then you were able to close him out. And Johnny, after the event I read, talked about and remarked about how calm and cool you were able to stay throughout the, the stretch run and in the playoff. What do you remember about coming down that stretch, and how were you able to keep your cool? You know, that's great that uh, Johnny would say that. I've always been a huge fan of, of Johnny Miller's. He's been a you know nothing but uh, complimentary to me, and you know, for that to be my second win at the Canadian Open at the time at the you know Great Glen Abbey, um, it was it was so interesting because playing in that last group, um, I had I had a chance at 18. It was the best to this day, the best golf shot I've ever hit in my life uh, on the 72nd hole. Um, Nicholas was in the clubhouse, one behind. Uh, Johnny was you know in you know. I knew what score he was on. I needed to make a birdie to tie Johnny Miller. Um, and I drove it in the fairway. And I remember this distinctly. I had 218 yards of the flag, back right hole location. Tiger Woods, about 20 years later, 30 years later, hit six iron from the bunker from the same number. I had a one iron in my bag. <laughs> and I got called off by my caddy, Dennis Turning. I thought that I could lay the ball up and still make a four, you know, eight, eight or nine times out of 10. I was so confident in my wedge game. Um, Dennis called me off. I got to give him 100% credit. He said, Cookie, you're swinging good. This is a perfect number for you. We, I know how you can hit this one iron straight up in the air. Just trust it and make a swing. And, and I did that. And the ball took off just left of the flag landed just over the, the, the water hazard at the time. You just trickled over the you know back of the green and in that back bunker with an easy up and down. I almost made it, honestly. Um, so I have to give Dennis a lot of credit for that. And that calmed me down, Chris, going into that playoff, knowing, hey, I just hit one of the best shots I've ever hit in my life under the greatest pressure I'll probably feel for a long, long time. And I pulled it off. And I hit nothing but BBs in that playoff. Um, and unfortunately, I, I couldn't get the golf ball in the hole. I had four chances in a row to end it. And then all of a sudden, Johnny Miller became Johnny Miller. And now he had a 12-footer to end it on the fifth playoff hole, which is 17th hole at Glen Abbey. And he missed it. And that gave me life. Um, and then I wasn't going to miss the next one. So... Uh, for him to say that is is uh, is really nice. It's very very cool. But uh, that win to me, um, coming off you know, a little bit of an injury, I had missed a little bit of time, and uh, to win there at Glen Abbey, you know, being 
at that time, it was the fifth major. It got you in the World Series of Golf if someone had won, you know, two majors. So it was it was a big it was a big deal. Um, it, it's a proud moment of my life to to win that one, to win your second. A lot of a lot of great players win one. It starts to whittle down, and that table becomes a little bit smaller when you start winning two and you start winning multiples. And that one, um, that was a very very special one, Chris. And John, it's interesting that you mentioned that the Canadian Open was sort of like the fifth major. We now, I think we we all look at the fifth Beatle being the the Players Championship. <laughs> but to your point, that was a big deal back in the seventies and eighties to win that Canadian Open. At, at what point do you think that? Why did the players pass it up? To me, it's it's such a huge event. I don't know, Chris. It, it's you know you get lost in in history. You get lost in. Uh, stories you get lost in a, a lot of things nowadays and they try to force things on you and i'm i'm not a huge fan honestly i can i can honestly say that uh, we played in an era where it, it was all about history there was you know it, it was all about records it was all about you know who's doing what against who and now now it's it's so different um it, it's it's almost unrecognizable to me on on um you know what qualifies as a great career or a nice career players set themselves up for their life with one win uh maybe zero wins and it it you know i, I hate to be an old fuddy duddy but you know what you, you win double digits on tours and or you win multiple times and you know back in those days now it really doesn't get you a whole lot now it's it's so much about you know, just being comfortable and doing this and being entitled and doing that. It's just, you know, it's a little bit bothersome. I don't think that guys understand that. Um, I don't think that they put a premium enough on actually winning golf tournaments because, hey, you finish in the top 10, you make a couple hundred thousand dollars. I mean, you have, you know, a couple good years, you set up for life. We, we didn't play golf, Chris. In the certainly in the '60s and '70s, and certainly the early '80s, you didn't play golf to become wealthy. You played golf because you loved it. You wanted to win. The only way that you could get, you know, healthy in the game was to win. And so the premium was on beating everybody that you were playing against. It's not that way anymore, and I, I feel bad about that. You mentioned that that win got you into the World Series of Golf, and. That was an event that was managed by your father, Jim. And I have to imagine after they handed you the winning check, all of a sudden the next best thing had to be, now I get to go be in an event that's managed by my dad. How great was that? You know, Chris, uh, I'm, I'm so proud of my dad and what he did in our, our game and what he did before our game in, in auto racing and, um, you know, doing that. And what and, and some of the innovations that he brought to the PGA Tour um, are second to none. I mean, nobody thought of a lot of things that he was thinking about at that time. And you know, I won the U.S. Amateur in 1978. That also got me in the World Series of Golf in 1978. Um, so that was a very very proud moment, obviously. And then and then to win, um, and then, then to get into the World Series of Golf as the Canadian Open champion uh, in, in the, professionally was a super great moment in my life. And, um, you know, some of the things that he did to, you know, to strengthen the game, um, not only on the professional level, but on the marketing level, on the volunteer level, 
on the innovation level on how you run proams and how you get marketers marketing people in there how you get companies involved how you get you know those those big build outs around the greens that was all his idea and you know i'm not just saying that this is this is a proud son talking about a father that was so innovative in the professional game of golf um then you can this story is going back to some of those uh those meetings uh sponsor meetings you know in in the winter time on some of the things that he was bringing to the table and he he'd look around the room and they were all kind of going Jim what are you talking about and you know what everything is going on this this day um so I'm I'm very proud of my father and uh, you know to be able to participate in the events that he was running at the time especially the World Series of Golf there in Akron Ohio um I I I, I'm super proud of of being able to play in events that uh, that my dad ran. Uh, they were super good events, uh, innovative events. Las Vegas, nobody had a million dollar event up until he came along. The Players Championship wasn't even a million dollar event until the Vegas came along. Um, so you know he was he was a he was a fire starter. He was a fire starter, Chris. Yeah. So let's take that a step further. And you mentioned winners check. I mean, he built the World Series of Golf into one of the biggest purses on tour. The winner got $100,000 at a time when the <laughs> biggest paycheck was 45000 and that went to the winner of the PGA Championship. And then he revived the Mexican Open late in the 80s. Your father was a major force within the PGA Tour. Talk about that. He went into a players meeting, Chris, or a, a board meeting, a sponsor meeting, and he told Dean Beeman, he said, hey, Dean, I've got an event. I'm going to start in Las Vegas. It's going to be a $1 million purse. And they, and, and Dean went, Oh no, 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 Jim, you can't have a million dollar purse. The players championship is only 400,000. You can't have a million dollar event. He said, uh, I suggest everybody step up your game a little bit. Cause we have a $1 million event happening in Las Vegas in 1983. And it's going to be in the fall. So you guys have all this time to figure it out. And sure enough, he did. And it just kind of kept going from there. So it's, uh, you know, it's like I said, it. he was an innovator. He was a marketer. He was a public relations guy. He understood how to get people involved. He understood how to get people on the same page. Um, and he did it with for, for a long, long time. Switching gears a little bit, Cookie, something I've been calling for over the years is a Ryder Cup-like event for the Champions Tour. And we're finally going to get one. And the World Champions Cup next month. What do you think about the creation of that event? Yeah, I love it. Uh, I love it, Chris. I, I think it's 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 time. Um, yes, we would have liked to had it, you know, 10, 15 years ago, maybe. That would have been great. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's time because there's so much history involved in in the Ryder Cup on you know on American soil, on European soil, on the UK soil. And to get other, you know, other continents involved, I think it's a it's a wonderful idea. I would love to have been part of it, but uh, you know, I'm way past that. But I, I'm I'm going to be very interested in it. I think it's a wonderful idea. Speaking of being innovative, I read that back in June of 2017, you were at Red Hawk Run, your family owned course at the time, and you were seen surfing down the fairway on a golf board playing Stevie Ray Vaughan <laughs> and ZZ Top. Now that's progressive and something that uh, helped us grow the game. We need more of that. Well, you know, when that surfboard came out, Isleworth had one. Uh, I used it a lot. 
Um, I, I, I miss those days of, of being in the water. Uh, my wife and I talk about it all the time on, you know, we're Southern Cal kids, born in Ohio. Yes, but I was a Southern Cal kid. I went to, you know, grew up in the water. Um, so I, I miss that, that, you know, that part of my life. And so when those you know, golf boards came along and they were available at Iowa, man, I took it every time I could. So it was kind of fun. Um, Red Hawk Run also had one that I took out a couple of times um, there in, in Finley. So it was a, it was fun. It was a great little workout because you kind of had to engage, you know, other parts of your body than just walking. Uh, so it was, uh, it was very enjoyable. Um, I, I wish they were still around and where they are. I don't know. Maybe they are still around. Hopefully they are, but I don't play that much golf anymore, Chris. So I, I miss those days of, of being able to, to be in the water and surf and then go to play golf. Well, at Iworth, I got the chance to do that. Surf and play golf at the same time. Same there at Red Hawk Run. You've done some other great design work. I read some very nice things about Desert Willow Golf Resort out in Palm Desert, California, and North Star Golf Club up in Sunbury, Ohio, just north of Columbus. Talk about those two courses. Yeah, I haven't done much, you know, in in a long time, um, Chris. To be quite honest, but uh, you know, the five that I did, I also did one um, in San Diego area um, that. Uh, you know, was was pretty good. It was, it was it was called the old course. I think it's called the Salt Salt Creek now. Um, but the two in, in Palm Springs, I spent a lot of time on that property, Chris. Um, I, I used to take whenever I was home. Uh, I used to take one of the kids out. I had a, a, a kind of a wigged out a Jeep Cherokee that I would take out on onto the property. Uh, I would go talk to the shapers. I'd talk to the um, architects. I would talk to you know, whoever's you know doing whatever at the time. And I, I spent a lot of time out on that golf course, um, Desert Willow, the Fire Cliff, and also the Mountain View. And so I feel like there was a very special personal touch to that. Of course, Cook's Creek, um, they're just south of Columbus in Asheville. Uh, my dad and I and Dana Fry, um, we spent a lot of time there as well. And we're really proud of that, what that property turned into. Unfortunately, it's no longer there. Um, but North Star was just kind of the same. It was kind of my dad's vision. And so he and I, mostly his vision, but he and I spent a lot of time planning it out, talking about it, being around the golf course. But he was there every single day and you know, working on that. So it was, you know, as, as I learned the business of uh, golf course design and uh, and construction, uh, he also as well did the same thing. And that was his creation, and it's still going, and I understand it's doing really, really well. Another piece of property that we're very, very proud of. North Star, I read, is the second longest course in the state of Ohio, and I know the <laughs> course hosts a lot of college and amateur tournaments. With the length of the course, are you looking to bring some pro tournaments there, or is this, you know, college kids hit it a mile now, so we need that kind of length? <laughs> Uh, well, you kind of need that kind of length, but you also need to have an understanding of how to play a golf course, uh, on what it gives you, on, on, on where you can be aggressive and where you have to fit the golf ball into certain areas. Uh, that's something I learned, you know, back in those early days in the early nineties, uh, learning from Dana Fry. I spent a lot, a lot of time with Dana and where the turning point was back in the early nineties was around 275 yards. Well, today it's over 300 yards. So you have to take in consideration on where 
the turn point is going to be on your golf hole, a par four or par five, and understand on what you know what makes sense and, and what is stupid and ridiculous. You know, it doesn't make sense. So let, let let's give the you know let's give the experience to the golfer. You know, challenge them a little bit. You know, maybe a little visually intimidating, but as you get out there, you understand where that turn point is, and you play to that turn point. Um, so that's the, those are those are things that I learned from, from Dana. Um, you know, early on in that whole golf course design career, and uh, I, I love seeing nowadays on golf courses when I go do some announcing or I do, you know, kind of walk around or even play is, you know, where the turning point is and you play to that point and then you play beyond that point. So John, are you looking to do more course design work? I would love to, Chris, honestly, I I would love to. I'm I'm out there so much now, you know, walking on a golf course or doing some, you know, analyst work. Um, I I haven't done any type of design work in in quite a while. I I did help with uh, Driftwood Golf. Uh, club there in Austin, Texas, with the practice area, the short game area, the practice tee. Um, I didn't do much on the golf course because that's a it's a Fazio. But, you know, but going out on that golf course and being part of you know the early construction of that golf course, it kind of got me you know a little bit more excited again about possibly doing some more stuff. I would love to, honestly. I would I would love to get back out, you know, and put my stamp on you know a piece of property or a renovation or. Or something like that. So, it, yeah, it's in the back of my mind. I would, you know, very much welcome something, an opportunity to do that. Cookie, just a couple more before I let you go. You mentioned your analyst work. You have such a wonderful disposition, and that comes across when you're broadcasting either on TV or on Sirius XM. Was the transition to being a broadcaster difficult for you, or did it come naturally? Yeah, I, I have to be honest, Chris. It came a little bit naturally because all I was doing was. I was playing golf without hitting a golf shot. So I was trying to explain, you know, visually and, you know, you know, through my voice on exactly what I would have been thinking you know, playing this shot or playing this situation on Thursday, on a Friday, trying to make a cut on a Saturday moving day and a Sunday trying to finish, finish out a golf tournament uh, just to verbalize, you know, what I had learned through all those years of, of being competitive and learning from, you know, my guy, Ken Venturi and, and, and beyond, and also learning about you know, some of the other you know, great players that did go into, you know, that realm, into the announcing uh, area and why they were good, why they succeeded, you know, why some maybe didn't, you know, perform as well as they might have thought they would. Um, so I was just trying to be myself, Chris, and try to get across uh, to the viewer, to the listener on what I was thinking, what I was feeling at that certain time in that, you know, whether to finish out and win a golf tournament. Hey, I've, I've won a lot of golf tournaments and I have lost a lot of golf tournaments. So I can tell you how to do both <laughs> and what went right and what went wrong. I can promise you. And I'm, when it comes to golf, I'm as honest as anybody in the world that ever played this game and maybe a little bit too honest to myself sometimes. And maybe to my detriment, but I can promise you, I know a lot about this game. I love this game of golf. I have learned from so many great people, whether I played with golf with them or whether I followed in their footsteps into this announcing world on the television world of the game. Um, I, I have worked with some of the absolute best people you can possibly work with. Um, and I learned a lot from them. So let's take that a step further. 
what is something that is that you got to have in order if you're going to win a golf tournament, you got to be able to do this. And what's something that's going to well, lose one for you? Yeah, you can't be afraid. You have to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And you have to understand what a go pin is and what a, a no go pin is. And you have to be able to see and feel things. And you also have to understand where you stand. These players and these uh, psychologists that say, don't look at the leaderboard. You can't. Yes, you need to look at the leader. If you want to win a golf tournament, Chris, you absolutely have to understand where you sit. Where you, if you have to change your game plan, change it. If you don't, that's fine too. But you have to know exactly where you stand on that board and understand the situation. You don't have to go at a pin. If you've got a two-shot lead, you don't have to go at that pin. But if you're two behind and you don't know that, well, then how are you supposed to know what you're supposed to do? I don't ever understand. I can't understand that argument for the life of me. But you have to be under, you have to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. If you don't have to go at a pin, you have to make an aggressive swing to a conservative target. And if you don't feel and, and, and see the shot, you don't need to play that shot. So it's just a, you know, you learn that through the years. Thank God I had Ken Venturi on my side to, to, to preach to me when I was 15 year old, 15 years old, those exact things. Not many 15 year olds can comprehend that. I understood that from a, a very, very young age. Um, and, you know, when I did not win golf tournaments, Chris, it was probably it was mostly because I was not comfortable. I wasn't I wasn't trusting myself. Um, the events that I did win, I trusted myself all the way down to the wire. Why that is that you can't do it the whole time. That's why there's Hall of Famers and there's, <laughs> there's guys that are right on the fringe. So uh, I wasn't one of those guys. But you know what? I. I love to compete. I, I miss competing. Um, I played golf with some of the most amazing people. Um, I've been very, very, very fortunate in my life. Golf is certainly the family business, John. Last time we talked a little bit about your son, Jason, who played his college golf at Pepperdine then played professionally for a little while, then went back to school to Penn State to get his turf management degree. Update us on how Jason's doing. You know, he's loving what he's doing, Chris. He's still down there at Driftwood Golf. Uh, club uh, just southwest of tech, uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, he's been promoted to uh, assistant superintendent, so he's working his way through the ranks with um, uh, uh, Driftwood Golf Golf Club. There, uh, what what their plans are for him, we don't know, but he's very very happy. He's he's stepping up in that golf world. Uh, they really want him to play a lot of golf, so he's back playing some golf. They want him um, to be competitive to to get back into the competitive mode. There's not many, not many <laughs> superintendents uh, in, in the GCSAA that have a playing resume like Jason has and also has now, you know, the, the, the credo in, in that business. So um, they're very, very proud of Jason and what he can do and where he might be able to go um, in that world. But he's loving what he's doing, Chris. Uh, he is all in on being a superintendent. He loves taking care of a golf course. You got to understand too, in Austin, Texas, they had over a hundred days straight of over a hundred degrees uh, with very little rain, if any. And they kept that golf course in incredible shape. I played there a couple weeks ago. It was amazing what that crew did. Eric Pulse is the head guy. Jason and Dylan kind of run all those crews. And you know what? They, it's amazing what they did with very, very little help 
from around the area. And that's why turf grass management is so important is to be able to keep your golf courses alive and the crews that you have and the amazing people that are on these crews, um, their talent is uh, second to none. I, I was amazed when I went out there and played. I was expecting something completely different. And it was like playing a tour ready golf course. So Jason is extremely excited about where he's at. Uh, he's playing, he's part, starting to play some more golf and he hasn't missed a beat as far as playing golf goes. So he's got a very important championship coming up in, in January. It's the, uh, the national superintendents, you know, golf event. Uh, he is primed and ready to go. That's his major. He, he wants to play well. So he's getting ready for that. Don, before I let you go, remind our listeners again, how can we stay up to date with all the great things you're doing? How can we follow you online and on social media? So I'm, uh, I'm still doing a lot of uh, uh, golf channel events. Uh, this week I'll be uh, in Connecticut doing the uh, Butterfield B uh, Bermuda Championship, <laughs> but I won't be on site. I'll be from K Connecticut. So I'll be doing more you know, stuff for uh, golf channel. Also the Champions Tour, I'll be doing a lot more uh, next, next season. Um, but you can find me at John Cook Golf on Twitter, uh, John Cook OSU on uh, Instagram. Also, JC Driftwood. If you want to follow a little bit about Driftwood Golf Club, um, you can follow me on that. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just so happy to be out and announcing golf. I do a lot of college events. I'm going to be doing six or seven of those events uh, next year as well. So uh, I love the college game. You know, we just talked about college football. I love college golf just as much. Uh, I'm I'm all in on on whatever the NCA and these these great young men and women are doing in that uh, that part of the game. So um, I just love what I'm doing, Chris, and I, I always appreciate you having me on. Well, John, that certainly all comes through when I when I get to talk to you and see you. You're just one of the most positive, upbeat um, individuals that I get the privilege of talking to. It's always a huge thrill to have you as part of the show. I can't thank you enough for all the uh, contributions you've made to this show over the years. Uh, you've been on the show seven times and I'm already looking forward to number eight. I hope that's real soon. <laughs> Absolutely. I see that John Mahaffey is coming up next. Yep. One of my absolute favorite people in the world is John Mahaffey. I have learned a ton from him. Like I was talking about, he's one of the guys that I tip my cap to a great, great human. I love, I love, John, I love me some John Mahaffey. Love that guy. <laughs> I couldn't agree with that statement more. John, thank you so much. Take care, my friend. All the best in your family. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Anytime, Chris. Always a pleasure. Thanks, John. That is the great John Cook, folks. A great golf family, a wonderful man and a fantastic player. 21 wins between the PGA Tour and the Champions Tour. Seems like a Hall of Fame career to me. You get that many wins between the, those two tours. It seems like that's a heck of a resume. You, you throw a, a, a U.S. Amateur Championship on top of that, plus some of the other great things, winning a national championship at Ohio State and uh, the Les Bostead Award three times in a row in the Big Ten. That, to me, that's a, that's a Hall of Fame resume. I can't understand why John is not uh, already in there. So hopefully that happens very, very soon. And his father had a tremendous impact on the PGA Tour and the sports world in general. And now we get to a third generation with his son, Jason. Fantastic stuff. He, uh, like I say, a wonderful individual. Make sure you're following him on Instagram at John Cook OSU and at John Cook Golf on Twitter. Like I say, seven times. I can't wait for number eight.
just one of my all-time favorites. That's John Cook. Okay, like you heard Cookie say a moment ago, coming up next is going to be 1978 PGA champion John Mahaffey. Before I get to John, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf, at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year. And I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full-face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say. An average player, I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger, and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58. There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX full-face wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show, and that's me and my golf. And how does a 45-day free trial to Arco sound? Well, me and my golf have partnered with Arco's and are offering 14 free sensors and a 45-day free trial to Arco's Caddy. When you purchase any training aid on shop.meandmygolf.com. This is a limited time offer, so don't miss out. Again, go online to shop.meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its green golf collection, sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance-enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick-dry, and UV 50-plus protection. From solids to bold, eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to Construct.com, and that's C-O-N-X-S-T-R-U-C-T.com, and use code CHRIS for 20% off the green collection today. All right, now back and next on the tee with me is 1978 PGA champion and 1986 Players champion, John Mahaffey. I'm blessed to say that John has become a wonderful friend of the show over the last few years. It's been great getting to have him share his stories and insights with us. He was a tremendous player, both as an amateur and as a professional. Played his college golf at the University of Houston, where he was named first-team All-American in 1969 and 70. John won the individual title at the 1970 National Championship, and he helped the Cougars win back-to-back national championships in 69 and 70. He earned his degree in psychology and was inducted into their Athletics Hall of Honor in 1976. John turned pro in 1971. He won 10 times on the PGA Tour, including that 1978 PGA Championship, which was played at Oakmont, when he came from seven strokes back with 14 holes to play to win in a playoff. He also won the 86 Players Championship when his 13 underscore bested Larry Mize by a stroke and another great friend of the show, Tim Simpson, by five. He won once out on the Champions Tour. He was a member of the victorious 1979 Ryder Cup team. In 1983, he was inducted into the Texas Golf Hall of Fame. He has written several wonderful books, including Hogan's Boy, A Journey in Golf, plus a golf-related mystery novel series around Terry McCall, a fictitious superstar on the rise, who gets into all kinds of hair-raising situations. The books are titled Shafted and Unfinished Business. You can find them out on johnmahaffeyauthor.com or on Amazon. And I couldn't be more excited. I get to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, John, how are you, my friend? I am doing so good, Chris. It's so good to be back. And I guess Cookie got the check I sent him about the promo. <laughs> that was awful nice. You know, I guess it was enough. <laughs> uh, 
we had so much fun working together on Golf Channel, and uh, I really got to know John. We, we got to play a little bit, you know, after we got off the, off the air and stuff. And uh, him being with uh, knowing Ken Venturi so well, and and uh, Hogan and Venturi being such good friends, we had a lot in common to talk about, and it was so much fun. I miss those days. John, I, I want to start out our time tonight uh, talking a little Western Pennsylvania golf with the show now being a part of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, and they picked up the show a couple of months ago. And I know we've talked about your 78 PGA Championship before, but for the listeners now in my hometown of Pittsburgh, what are your memories of trying to go out and win a major championship at Oakmont and dealing with those greens? Well, quite honestly, at the time, uh, in 1978, I'd only made about $10,000 going into that tournament. I don't even remember how I qualified to get in, to be quite honest with you. But, uh, and I opened with 75. So, uh, I, I really wasn't trying to win. I was trying, uh, at that point, uh, I was just trying to make the cut and maybe, uh, you know, get to where I could get, uh, make some money. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Oakmont, uh, was I, I played poorly there in the, in the U.S. Amateur. I think the year uh, Steve Melnick won there. And uh, I was scared to death of those greens. I really was. In fact, I uh, I changed putters before I went there. I borrowed my mother's putter, all right? Is that right? 802, yeah, that I gave her way back in the day. And I took that putter because it was so light. And I uh, felt like I could control it better on those really, really quick greens. And uh, after the 75 that I shot, I, I went to the practice tee. And, uh, I, I played early in the morning. So I skipped lunch, went to the practice team, practiced till dark. And when I left, I felt like I might have come across something, found something that felt good. And for the next three days, I played some of the best golf I've ever played in my life and putted like a dream with my mother's putter. <laughs> Do you still have the putter? You know, I don't. I can't find it. Uh, Is that I've right? moved so many times. Yes. Uh, I, I cannot find that thing. Uh, oh well. <laughs> somebody's got a good putter no <laughs> doubt yeah yeah john after you won that pga you backed it up the very next week by winning the american optical classic you beat the defending champion raymond floyd and the only optometrist on tour dr gill morgan seems kind of ironic that you would beat dr gill to win that event yeah dr gill was one of the most talented players out there and then uh he was one of the guys that i always liked to listen when he played because it didn't sound like he ever missed a shot. Everything was so solid. There's almost Hoganist in the way he did that. Uh, beautiful player. And, uh, I was lucky. Raymond had his stare going that week too, but I was coming off an, an emotional high of winning the PGA. Obviously it changed my whole life and I kind of just drifted along and, uh, ended up beating him head to head the last day, uh, at, uh, up in Massachusetts. It was, it was yep. uh, wonderful. Wonderful, uh, Pleasant Valley, one of the longest golf courses on the tour, which really probably shouldn't have suited my uh, my style. But uh, I don't think I missed many greens that week. And uh, I, again, I putted very, very well. You mentioned changed your life. I was curious after winning a PGA, carrying that emotion, winning the very next week, to your point, having not won a lot of money out on tour. How much did your life change just within that two week span of time? Well, there was a lot of things that happened before that, Chris, that, uh, you never really make up for, for things that don't, that don't go your way, but, but you can sure make them, uh, you can feel better about them and use them as experience. Let's put it that way. 
I had lost back-to-back U.S. Opens in 1975 and 76 and wondered if I'd ever get another chance to win a major championship and to actually have that come true and to win by playing so well uh, for the last three days there really uh, was was something that, that got me kind of over the hump. And uh, then winning the, the next week, obviously, was a boost as well. But uh, you, you always, especially when, when you have Ben Hogan as your mentor, and, and he's he sort of has you figured as a guy with the potential to be in the Hall of Fame. It's definitely a guy that can win major championships. And to have come, come up short twice and then finally doing it, it was quite a relief. John, I want to get your thoughts on equipment changes. Did you ever, when you were out playing on tour and you're, you know, you're playing across the country, obviously the tour is taking you through the seasons, through different climates. And especially if you went over all those years that you played in the open championship in England and Scotland, did you change equipment at all to deal with the different turf conditions you were going to face that week? Uh, no. And I guarantee you, my buddies on the tour would laugh when <laughs> that question, I changed all the time. I really did. I was, I think between me and David Graham, we probably changed clubs more than anybody else out there. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know anybody else that, that would have done more, but I learned a lot of, about club making and everything from, from Ben Hogan's uh, club maker, Gene Sheely, when I signed with the company, uh, before I even got on the tour. So I learned a lot about, about different stuff, but I didn't, I never, I didn't really, I, I changed, I, I went with the equipment that they wanted me to play that they, that they were promoting. Uh, I didn't stick with one particular set of clubs because they were all very, very good. And some of them, they actually used some suggestions that I had about maybe softening up the bottoms a little bit more. So it, it suited my game. And uh, I, I, it it was just a wonderful relationship I had with, with Mr. Hogan as well as, as all the people at the Ben Hogan Company. You played a lot of golf against the guy that we just lost and Andy Bean. What do you remember about Andy? Golly. <laughs> That's, he he was he was so he was an enigma in, in a lot of different ways I, I suppose I mean he was one of the kindest guys in the world but boy did he ever get mad at himself the fact that and, you know people talk about him biting through a golf ball he bought all he bit all the way through into the rubber into the winding <laughs> of a golf ball when he got mad at it I could bite a little bit of the cover but I wasn't strong enough to, he I mean he could take on a bear with that kind of, <laughs> with that kind of strength in his jaws it was amazing. Very powerful player, very talented player, great touch, um, loved his sense of humor. Uh, he loved the outdoors. I did as well, so had a few things in common that way. I wish I'd have gotten to be a better friend of his, but tremendous competitor and, and, and just a wonderful, wonderful guy. He was one of your teammates on that victorious Ryder Cup team in 1979. Looking over the results of those matches, you were 1-2 and two overall, but really 1-1 one and one against a guy that I think is very underrated in Brian Barnes. You and Hale Irwin lost to Bernard Gallagher and Brian Barnes in the Friday morning four ball. You got your revenge by beating Brian Barnes in the Sunday singles. Like I say, he was a great player. What do you remember about competing against him and being a part of those Ryder Cup matches? It was such an honor. I was never been more scared in my life, Chris, ever. Uh, you know, going to that first tee, it, uh, it, for for my own one and only Ryder Cup in '79, it was, uh, and and it, I wasn't playing particularly well, and Billy Casper knew it, and I, I didn't figure I'd be playing a lot. So when I went when I played uh, Barnes in the in the singles, I really wanted to make a a, a statement. I wanted like I really belonged there. I finally kind of got okay enough of this, 
let's go play some golf. And I played pretty well. I don't, I think I beat him two and one, something like that. But, uh, you know, and he, he's the guy that brought down, uh, what did he beat? Nicholas twice. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I got that going for me, Nick. Jack Nicholas. <laughs> Take that. John, there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking going on right now for why this year's U.S. team lost. What's your assessment? Why can't we seem to beat these guys on a consistent basis? I, I honestly don't know. I really don't. Uh, maybe too much good old boy stuff. I, I don't know. You read all this kind of stuff, and it's hard. Uh, I know that when I, when Billy Casper came up to me and, and he'd asked me if I'd play with so-and-so and so-and-so, I'd, I'd said yes. It didn't matter. I didn't care who I played with. You know, I wanted to play and I wanted us to win. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I honestly, I honestly don't know. That's a question that I don't know anybody knows the answer to right now. Switching gears a little bit. In 2003, John, you made the transition from being a tour player to being an analyst on the golf channel working for our good friend Keith Hirschland. What was that transition like for you? Well, it was great. Keith Hirschland was after me for a while. To, to get on the golf channel. And, uh, he actually talked to my wife, to Elizabeth, right? you know, and trying to get me to do, to, to go on. And, and I kept saying, guys, no, I can still play. And so finally, I guess she'd had enough of it because I was pl- playing on the, on the senior tour at the time, trying not to finish last. And I'd never played golf like that in my life. I mean, it was just trying, it was survival. And, you know, so Elizabeth, uh, took me aside and she said, I talked to Keith today and, and he really wants you to do this. And I think you should. And I said, why are you guys so, why are you pushing this so much? She says, well, I'll tell you what, you can't play. You can't roll over and play dead right now. You're trying to you're finishing last every freaking week or close to it. You know, the golf courses, you know, the players and you're articulate and you're not afraid to speak up anything else you need to know. And it kind of made sense. <laughs> You know, and then I, I got to work with Keith and, uh, who, who put, who actually, uh, when I decided to do it, uh, I can't remember when we were up, uh, at the Farmers Classic or something. And he, and he called me and he said, look, you play in a pro-am tomorrow early. I want you to come over by the trailers and I want to give you a clipboard and a headset. I want to send you out and see if you can do this. That was my training. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and you just fi- try to find a spot where guys can't hear you, and you know if they can hear you, <laughs> they give you the evil eye. You know that. So you know, and that's kind of how I got it started. And and Keith was so good to me, uh, and and really a mentor in that, uh, and in other ways too. Later on down in the way in my life, but you know, uh, when I came on, every announcer, and I guess this is common uh, when you're just starting out, you have a go-to phrase and mine was i tell you what guys and so every time they come to me let's go to john mahaffey at 15 well i'll tell you what guys you know so after a while i hear in my ear uh he says you gotta lose that you gotta lose that you know so uh i, I did my best for a while and i, I guess i wasn't very good at it because we went to hawaii or somewhere and, and the first uh, hole they come to me on uh i said i tell you what guys and in my ear, I hear, and there's some profanity, and I'm not going to use it. <laughs> if I hear that one more time, just drop the headset, turn around, give them and the clipboard, and get yourself on an airplane and get your back home. <laughs> we don't need you. And I tell, and it was funny because it, it, it I stopped at that point. And uh, and then Keith, uh, Keith, uh, I guess kind of left the golf channel after that. 
uh, so, uh, about a year after that. And, and, uh, he came back to do, t- uh, occasional tournaments. And I happened to be on one of the crews. And when they came to me intentionally, I said, I tell you what, guys. And he says, uh, uh-uh, uh, you don't do that anymore. I've been listening. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he's, he's always had my back and I really appreciate it. As did most of the folks at Golf Channel. Uh, they were very gracious to me in a lot of ways. And, and, uh, I learned a lot. I, I had a, a great road family. Let's put it that way that, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade for anything. So I got to ask you, you, you mentioned getting the evil eye. How do you go from being a peer to a lot of the players out on tour to not raising their ire while you're trying to be objective and what you're seeing and call what's happening out there on the golf course? How do you not upset them? I'll give you a great example of that. And, and Keith was, was the producer on this thing. And uh, Bobby Watkins had a chance to win one of our majors. It was up in the north, northwest somewhere. I can't. It might have been in Portland. Anyway, he comes to the 18th hole and he hits his great tee shot at par five, uh, perfect in the fairway. Hits his big towering like five wood. It hits on the green. The green was really really hard, and it took one bounce and jumped over the rough and almost went out of bounds. And um, I think Elgato won the tournament. I'm not sure, but anyway. Uh, he ends up making a really five footer for par or something like that and loses by a shot. And so he comes, uh, I'm waiting for, for Bobby to come out of the scoring tent and Keith says, you need to talk to him. I said, Keith, I don't know. He says, it makes for good TV. And I'm thinking, ah, man, I don't even know what to say, you know, <laughs> because it, I mean, it was just a horrible break. It's nothing he did wrong. And it was just like, you know, uh, karma got him or something. I don't know. <laughs> And uh, anyway, I wait for him outside and we walk out and, and he kind of looks around and he looks at me and he says, you want to talk, right? And I said, yeah. He says, JD, you know how it feels. I'll talk to you. Wow. So I thought, yeah, <laughs> you know, you've been there, you know, and, and it kind of, it kind of made me feel like, all right, I'm not really the enemy, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, and which, you know, so, let's face it. Some of the guys were, you know, they were looking for all the negatives. I've tried to, I learned a lot from Dave Moore. Back when at, at ABC, I worked a couple of times when I was injured and, uh, he always put the player in a good light. He never really, uh, he never, uh, threw a guy under the bus. He said, you know, he never, he, he obviously didn't want to hit it there, but he's got a marvelous short game. Let's see if he can get it up and down or, you know, he's got a great attitude. If he makes bogey here, maybe he can make birdie at the next hole. I mean, something positive out of a negative. And that's kind of how I, I tried to do it. And, uh, some people said, I, said I wasn't hard enough on people. What, you know, I worked with Lanny, so we had one that was hard enough. I, we didn't need two. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, before I let you go, update us. How is the, uh, the novel series coming? It's going great. It's going, I mean, shafted, unfinished business and dead quiet are all published now. And they're, uh, those three are in paperback, ebook and audio. And then I've got Blindsided, which I just finished and it's in editing. And I'm about three quarters done with my fifth one called Cornered, which is a sort of a, uh, a split off on, on the other books to go with a, a, a more of a, well, it has to do with a lawyer that was a golfer and stuff that uh, ended up working with Nemesis. So uh, it, it's going great. It really is. It's awesome. I'm, I'm having a blast. Uh, it's, they're all on, on Amazon, uh, easy to find, already, uh, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm very pleased that we're getting a good response. I've got a lady that does the best covers in the world, book covers. They're awesome. So, you know, I got, I got all, all my, uh, the people I work with are ladies and they're great. 
they're very, very the top of the line in the business. So I can't complain. So, John, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's on your website or it's on social media? Well, I, I'm, it, I'm Hogan's boy on, on uh, Twitter and uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, and John Mahaffey and I've got John Mahaffey author.com, but, uh, I don't really tweet as much. I'm writing so much. It's unbelievable. As you can imagine. I mean, I've been away from the golf channel four years now and I've got five books out. I mean, that's, that's a lot of writing because you end up rewriting these books four or five times before you send them to editing. So it's, uh, it's not just like you just throw it, you know, throw it down and there it is. It doesn't happen that way. Well, John, it's always so much fun when I get to have you as part of the show. You're one of my all-time favorites. I can't thank you enough for coming back and joining me for a sixth time tonight. I, I hope we get the privilege of doing number seven very, very soon because you're one of the best. I appreciate that, Chris, and so are you, by the way. Congratulations on all the awards. You deserve them. Well, I appreciate that very much. John, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll do this again soon. Thank you, sir. See you, John. That is a great John Mahaffey, folks. What a wonderful individual that guy is. He is just so much fun to have as part of the show. Great stories, great insights, and now a great writer. This series is so much fun to read. It's a, it's a page turner, right? You're going to get the book and you're going to be going through the book and you're going to be reading. And the next thing you know, hours have passed and hundreds of pages later and you just can't put them down. That's how good his writing is and how compelling the story is. So please go out there and check it out and give him a follow again at Hogan's Boy. And the book that he wrote that's about golf, Hogan's Boy, A Journey in Golf, is fantastic. It's a great read. Great insights into the tour, into Mr. Hogan, and into John's career. So I highly encourage you to go get those as well. We'll get John back on the show again real soon. Coming up next is going to be Bob Friend Jr. And Bob is just one of the great players in the western Pennsylvania area. He was a grinder out on tour for many, many years, and he has just been a wonderful friend of the show going all the way back to season one. Before I bring Bob in, I want to remind you about two under men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NXTONTEE20, so next on T20, to save 20% at checkout. So go to 2under.com. That's a number 2UNDR.com. 2under. Performance in your pants. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Now next on the tee with me, and I'm honored to say this for the 18th time, is obviously one of my all-time favorite guests, Bob Friend Jr. Bob is a wonderful friend of the show, both on and off the air. He's been a great part of this show since the very beginning, going all the way back to Season 1, Episode 3. And 750-plus shows later, he's become a wonderful regular contributor to this show. He is from my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, played his college golf at LSU, 
where he helped them win the 1986 SEC Championship. Bob had 11 career top 10 finishes while he was there at LSU. He won the Western Pennsylvania Amateur Championship in 1984 and 85 and the Pennsylvania State Championship in 85 as well. He turned pro in 1987. He played on the Corn Ferry, PGA, and Champions Tours. He had five top 10 finishes his rookie season on the Corn Ferry Tour, including a second-place finish at the El Paso Open. He got his first win at the 1991 Fort Wayne Open. In 98, Bob won the Panama Open and finished second in the Canadian Open. And over the course of his career, he's finished in the top 10 27 times. In 2003, his high school, Fox Chapel, inducted him into their Hall of Fame. And if you're a baseball fan, I always like to remind folks about this. You'll remember his father, Bob Friend Sr. He pitched in the major leagues from 1951 to 1966, mostly with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and was a key member of their 1960 World Series championship team that beat the New York Yankees. And I am so honored and privileged that I get to have Bob back again with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bob, how are you, my friend? Chris, I'm doing well. How are you? It's always good to speak with you. It's hard to believe. It's 18, 18 times your show and 750 shows. That's quite a benchmark. I appreciate that very much. You're a huge contributor to the show, so I can't thank you enough for everything you've done for me and the show. Um, I want to start, uh, as you know, the show is now available on the Pittsburgh Tribune Review site, and uh, you've had a ton of success in the Western Pennsylvania PGA section. I want to go back to 1984 when you won the Western PA Amateur Championship. It was played at Oakmont that year, so kind of a a home game for you. You beat Kurt Beck and fellow Oakmont member Mark Bope, who won the club championship multiple times there. What do you remember about that win? Well, it was, it was, you know, 1984. I'd, I'd played in the U.S. Open as an amateur. I'd played in the, the U.S. Amateur in 83. And so in 84, um, you know, the West Penn Amateur was a big deal. Obviously, it was played at Oakmont, 54-hole tournament. And, um, you know, I had qualified for the U.S. Open at Wingfoot in 1984. So my confidence was running very high. And obviously, you know, having been a member at Oakmont at that time was, you know, for, gosh, I think 12, 12, 13 years then at that point, very important for me to go out there and to win that golf tournament. And I remember... um I had the lead after the first day, and then the second two days, we played all the way back. The golf course was very firm, very fast, and Kurt Beck, who at the time was also was also playing college golf at the University of North Carolina, very talented junior player uh, throughout my career, and um, I remember I won in the third playoff hole, the third hole at Oakmont, and we were both so exhausted because you played uh, 18 holes on Monday, and then you played 36 on Tuesday. And you played 18 in the morning on Tuesday. There was a cut. You went out and you played in the afternoon, 18 in the afternoon. And we were just, I mean, Oakmont is just, it's a mentally exhausting uh, test of golf. And I remember I, I actually won one of the third hole, uh, beating Kurt Beck in a playoff with a double bogey. Wow. Uh, I made six. He made a seven. And it was just, you know, we were both so exhausted. But, you know, you just take a look back at, at some of the, you know, some of the, the, the watershed moments of your life. I mean, winning the Western Pennsylvania Amateur, um, you know, was was one of those moments to realize, you know, you can win, you you can compete, and then next thing I know, you know, I won the West Penn Amateur again in '85, and the State Amateur in '86. I won, you know, the Northeast Amateur, the Mid Atlantic Amateur, the Merle Invitational, and um, you know, I had a chance to make the U.S. Walker Cup team and for for '87. So 
84 was really my first, my really first big win um, in amateur golf. I'd, I'd qualified for the U.S. Junior Amateur at Longview back in 81. I was a medalist there. But really, the West Penn Amateur was my, my first big win. And any time you win, it builds confidence. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget making double bogey against Curtin winning on the uh, third extra hole of Sun Death. So let's take that a step further because you come back and you win that tournament again the next year in 85, this time at Chartier's Country Club there in Pittsburgh, an old Willie Park design. What do you remember about repeating? Uh, I, I can tell you, I can't, I can't remember. You know, you sit back, you take a look at 30, 30 years or 40 years now. And um, I do remember that I was never in danger of not winning that golf tournament. I, I think I shot like, you know, like 68 the first round, like 67 the second round, and then maybe like a 71 the third round. I was never in doubt of, of winning that golf tournament. Um, you know, you sit there, when, when you sit there and you play, you know, I was defending champion, then you go and you, you go back to school, you go back to LSU, and you play, and you, you play Division One college golf at a high level for, you know, an SEC, you know, team like such as LSU with great players on it. You know, you come back and you play in your local events, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm quote unquote big time now. And your confidence is high. And you just, you just realize that, you know, you're, you, you play a little bit better and you believe in yourself a little bit more than the rest of the guys you're competing against. So 85 was a little bit easier. And then later in the summer, I won the, uh, the Pennsylvania State Amateur, which played at Longview. And, uh, I won by, I won by eight shots in the Pennsylvania State Amateur, um, later in the summer. So, you know, you sit there as, as Jack Nicholas so famously said, winning breeds winning. You know, you win these golf tournaments and it just does nothing but, uh, you know, build your confidence as you move forward. Yeah. When I look back at that Pennsylvania State Amateur Championship in 85 at Longview Club that you mentioned, which is in Verona near my hometown of Penn Hills, right down the street, actually, from where my father grew up on Lime Hollow Road. You beat Ted Treba, who won a couple of times out on the PGA Tour. So let's talk about that. It's not like you didn't outdistance a field of really, really great players. Yeah, Ted. Ted, we, his his nickname on tour was Ted. Try to keep it out of the Trebas, uh, <laughs> which he was. That was that was one of the monikers he was given from the uh, the guys in the PGA Tour fitness trailers. Um, but yeah, Ted was a, Ted was a great player. There was another guy by the name of Jim Hagstrom, uh, who was another good player. Ended up winning uh, at Marion, I believe, in nineteen eighty six. So, no, it was one of those things where I think I shot 66, 68, 70, uh, 70, 71, 70, or something along those lines. I know I won by eight. So, again, it's just one of those things where, you know, as a, as a boy, my, my goal was to play in the PGA Tour when I was 14 years old. I decided that's what I wanted to do. And then you sit there and you start winning some amateur tournaments, start seeing some success. It just builds your confidence. And then for me, the big, uh, you know, the big year was, you know, 1986. Where it just it just so it just so coincided that all these major amateur tournaments that I was playing in were opposite. Like I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't try to three peat the West Penn Amateur because it was opposite in a tournament. I couldn't try to defe- uh, defend my championship the state amateur because it was opposite a major amateur golf tournament. So it was just one of those things where I couldn't play in this, couldn't play in that. Then I you know in '86 I won the Monroe Invitational, which was match play. I beat Len Matisse in the finals. And then in 19, and then the week later at the Northeast Amateur, I won the Northeast Amateur by seven shots, which is now is considered one of the elite amateur tournaments in golf. But even back then, you know, 40 years ago, I mean, it was considered one of the top six amateur tournaments in the United States. 
Bob, when people think of Pittsburgh sports, golf doesn't immediately come to mind, but there are so many great golf courses in the Pittsburgh metro area. You, obviously, you're a member at Oakmont, but there are some really fantastic golf courses in and around Pittsburgh and western Pennsylvania. What are some of the other ones that you really enjoy playing? Well, I think you take a look at Fox Chapel Golf Club, which is an old Seth Rayner. Um, they've gone and they've done some renovations to that over the last uh, 10, 12 years. It's brilliant. You've got the Pittsburgh Field Club where we played the the, the Frank B. Fuhrer Family House event there. We also played the FBF Junior Invitation, which is a tri-state section PGA tournament, the largest the largest section event purse uh, in the United States. And you also they also played the 1937 PGA Championship at the Field Club. Denny Shute won there. You've got Laurel Valley, which is Arnold Palmer's playground. You've got Lake Trobe, which is where Arnold Palmer grew up. Uh, you've got Nevillewood, which is a Nicholas development. Um, you've got Diamond Run. Uh, you've got Treesdale. You've got Longview Club, which has some of the best views in all of Pittsburgh from any golf course and one of the greatest clubhouses you'll ever see. And, and literally, you take a look at Longview and you play the front nine. It's like, yeah, it's kind of shortish. And yeah, you might be able to make some birdies. And then you play 15, 16, 17, and 18. And that is all you would want in terms of a, of, a, of a last four finishing holes in Western Pennsylvania. So there's a lot of really great golf course. Another one uh, that a lot of people don't know anything about is Hannestown. So Hannestown was designed by by William Leffler, who was the the golf course super, the first golf course superintendent at Oakmont, and he designed the front nine. And then they late years later was a nine hole golf course designed the back nine. But Hannestown is loaded with great golfers. Uh, out there near Greensburg, and uh, there's just so much great golf here. And obviously, you know the 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 king of all kings, Arnold Palmer, uh, you know, is from Western Pennsylvania. So it's it's a great area for golf. Obviously, the Steelers, the Pirates, the Penguins, but uh, the people in this area they love their they love their golf. Bob, you mentioned the Frank B. Fura event. I had Chris Sheehan on the show last week, and Chris is the head professional out there at Pittsburgh Field Club. You've competed at that event several times over the years, including earlier this summer when Eric Cole won. Talk about what it was like playing out of the Pittsburgh Field Club. Well, I can tell you, you know, uh, I first retired from tournament golf in 2003. Um, you know, when I when I decided to step away from it, um, I asked my father, I just said, you know, how did you know? I pulled my father's side. I said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe, you know, maybe it's time. And uh, this is, I, I had just turned 40. I had three kids. I was married. And my dad said, well, what do you, what's on your mind? I said, I just don't know if I want to put in the work. He said, that's when you need to step away. He said, when I stepped away at the age of 36, he said, I, I, in my mind, I knew that I no longer wanted to put in the work necessary to be at the top of the game. And that's where I was. And so I retired in 2003. My next year in 2004, Mr. Fuhrer was kind enough to extend an invitation to me to the Frank B. Fuhrer Invitational. And at that time, it was a $25,000 first place. So I finished second to a guy named Brad Westfall, good player out of West Virginia. And I competed each and every year um, as a member of the tri-state section of the PGA. And then 2008, um, I went out there and I shot 69, 68, 69, 68. And I won by five shots, $25,000 first place. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where you know, it's a seminal event in, in, in the in the state of what you know in Western Pennsylvania. And it was just it was such an honor to win the tournament with Mr. Fear's name on it because he's done so much 
for local golf here in Western Pennsylvania. And his son, Frank B. Fuhrer III, you know, he played in the Walker Cup in 1981, won the Western Amateur, played in the Masters. Just a wonderful, wonderful golf family. And um, I competed this year. It was the last year of the event. Um, Eric Cole, uh, I played with Eric when I was trying to get ready for Champions Tour events back in 2014. Mr. Fuhrer had pulled me aside one year and he just said, you know, do you know anything about this Eric Cole? I said, wonderful kid, great player. I said, I, I think he'd be a great addition to the tournament. And obviously with his father being Bobby Cole and Laura Baum, Mr. Fuhrer brought him in there. And, you know, Eric is Eric's just a world-class player. Take a look at what he did this year. So I don't compete much anymore, but it was nice to compete at the Pittsburgh Field Club. Uh, I did not compete as a senior. I competed against the young guys and fiddled, finished about in the middle of the pack. So, you know, as a guy that's 59 years old, not too bad. You've also played in the Palmer Cup, a match play event where the top 10 tri-state PGA professionals play against the top 10 Western PA amateurs. It's played at Arnie's home course there in Latrobe. You had the distinction of playing against a Western Pennsylvania amateur legend and Sean Knapp, who's in the IUP Hall of Fame. He's also won the Western PA amateur championship nine times. He won the U.S. Senior Amateur Championship what was it like drawing him in that event? Well, Sean is, you know, Sean, I've known Sean since my amateur days. You know, my amateur days ended uh, March of 2000, uh, excuse me, March of 1987. Uh, Sean, has been a, Sean has been a fixture in Western Pennsylvania golf for years. Um, you know, he's always a very good competitor. Um, and, you know, it was one of those things when you go and you take a look at it. Uh, you know, Sean was always at the, at the, before he won the U.S. Senior Amateur, obviously a very good player. But everybody looked at Sean like he was a big fish in a small pond. In Western Pennsylvania, you know, the pool of golf is not like you see in Florida or you see in Texas or in Oklahoma or in California, New York. So Sean goes out and he wins the U.S. Senior Amateur Championship. And it was basically the stamp of approval in amateur golf for Sean Knapp. And so Sean, you know, he's always a great competitor. I don't think I played particularly well that day. I actually don't think either one of us played particularly well that day, but Sean's been a great player for a long time. And anytime you get the opportunity to go up there and play Le Trobe, uh, you know, you see the, you see the, the covered bridge there when you walk on, on the back. I think it's number 12. Um, you know, it's always a special experience to get out there where you take a look at the fact that the greatest legend in the game of golf, this is where he grew up and he owned this golf course. Um, it's always a pleasure. And, you know, we, as, as tri-state section, uh, professionals, we got our rear ends handed to us by the by the amateurs. But again, they're they're playing a lot more golf than most section professionals. And uh, but it's always a fun event run by the tri-state section of the PGA. Uh, David Wright at that time, Dennis Derrick, they do a great job, and it's just it's always nice to compete. Bob, just a couple more before I let you go. And you've seen the course at Oakmont go through some pretty major changes over the years. The last time you were on the show, you were talking about more work being done to the course now. Talk about the renovations and the transformation that you've seen Oakmont go through over the years. Well, I, I can tell you we've been very, very careful uh, with what we do at Oakmont Country Club regarding um, it, it's it's the Mona Lisa. I mean, when you go and you take a look at this, the first golf course rankings came out in 1966. Oakmont has always been in the top 10. Um, this is something where Mr. Phones passed away in 1938. So when we took a look at this, I was on the board. We made this decision for us to go through with this renovation. Uh, obviously, at the advice of Bob Ford and others, we we, we spoke with Gil Hand. And, and at the time we hired Gil, 
Ben Crenshaw was our quote-unquote restoration architect. Ben, wonderful guy, played with him. He's world-class human being, world-class architect, was very reticent to, to do anything to Oakmont. And so the interesting thing with what we did was when we brought Hans in, Gil Hans had a great idea. And he said, look, I'm not going to go in and, and, and take a look at aerials and then bring the golf course back. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look at aerial photographs, all the photographs we have, between 1925 and 1938, when Mr. Phones passed. Anything after that, we threw it out because Mr. Phones was not alive. So what Gil did is that Gil took a look at each individual hole and what he felt was the best version of that hole in that time period. And so some of the holes haven't had a whole lot done to them. Some of them holes, some of the holes have had dramatic changes done to them, such as number seven. Uh, all the green complexes have been changed on the perimeters. They've not touched anything on the interior of the green. So there's 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 whole locations that I have seen um, that that I have never seen in 50 years being a member of Oakmont. Um, but what he did at like number seven was that way in 1938. And and if you go and you take a look at what he's done with the fairways, um, Oakmont had gotten be, be, become very much like a bowling alley. The fairway is straight. You've got a gutter ball left and a gutter ball to the right. Um, what Hans did, now you go out there and get on these poles and you see a little bit more of the snaking serpentine of the fairways. There was a little bit more of the strategy brought in, but he got rid of a lot of the saddle effect that you have on greens after you have pop dressing over the years and, and greenside bunkers where people hit shots and the sand piles up, piles up. So a lot of the saddle effect on the greens have been taken away. And I, I, in my, in my opinion, having been there for 50 years, I think that what's going to open up in April of 2024 is going to be the best version of Oakmont Country Club that we have ever seen in my lifetime, and really what we've ever seen in almost 90 years when it reopens in April. It's going to be amazing. Bob, one more, and I want to get your opinion. The framework of the partnership between the PGA Tour, Live Golf, and the DP World Tour is set to expire on New Year's Eve. In your opinion, where do you think this whole thing ends up? Well, at the end of the day, you knew that there was going to be you knew that there was going to be a partnership uh, between the PGA Tour, Live, and DP Tour. I mean, you just you cannot have bifurcated tours that don't have any relationship to each other with the greatest players in the world. That's not good for the game of golf. Um, I think everything is going to be con- is going to continue under the PGA Tour umbrella. I, I know for a fact that a lot of the, the a lot of the live tour guys, although they've made enormous amount of money, I think a lot of the guys are kind of frustrated with the idea that we're really just kind of playing exhibitions. You know, when you when you the the inside track that I've heard from some of these guys and their managers is that you know I've worked my whole life to be here to get to the very pinnacle of the game, and I'm out here playing in shorts. They're playing music, and they're fifty four fifty four hole tournaments with no official world golf ranking points. Look, I think at the end of the day, I think everything's going to be brought together. I think it's going to be good for the game of golf when all three of those entities get together. But I just think that this live, I, I'm, I'm delighted to see that Greg Norman is going to be out. Uh, Greg Norman is a cancer to the game of golf. He has had a grudge against the PGA Tour since 1994. Um, it's, a, it's a tour that basically helped enable him make wealth beyond his wildest imagination. And, you know, he's done nothing but bash the PGA Tour since 1994. So I, I'm glad to see that Greg Norman is out, as is everybody that knows him. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, I think it's all going to come under one umbrella. And you're going to see the 
added tournaments, some larger purses, and some more worldwide exposure. Bob, you're a fantastic realtor now there in the Western Pennsylvania area. Talk about the things that you're doing with Howard Hanna. Well, Howard Hanna is the largest family-owned real estate company in the United States. We were we were started in 1957 by Howard Hanna. Yes, it was a real human being. And we now currently have about 14,500 agents across 13 states. We're the fourth largest real estate company in the United States. And I manage, uh, having had a very successful tour as a real estate agent, I'm now a, an associate broker. And I manage the Squirrel Hill office, which is a suburb, which is a city office in Pittsburgh. And I manage a little over 60 agents. And out of the 450 offices we have, the Squirrel Hill office is the fourth largest in terms of volume. I also have the, I also have the most uh, instrumental investment specialist in all of real estate in my office. His name is Ryan Shedlock. He sells properties. You know, he sold $55 million worth of real estate last year alone. And that's just as a single person in, in the Pittsburgh market. You know, you can sell that in Dallas in like a month, but in Pittsburgh, to sell $55 million worth of real estate is unheard of. So the market right now, it's a little bit, it's a little bit crazy because interest rates approached 8%. Now they've dipped back down to seven. We're still in a seller's market. There are still buyers out there looking for homes and we just don't have a whole lot of inventory. It's hard to discuss people moving up or moving to that next home or either right sizing when they're in the current home at 3.5% or 3.75% interest, and you're asking them to maybe put their home on the market at 7.5% and buy the next home at 7.5%. So it's a, it's a little bit of a challenging market, but at the end of the day, you know, people are going to buy real estate, and we've got the finest agents in the business here at Howard Hanna. Uh, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? I would go to Instagram at H H Real Estate M G R Bob Friend. That is my that is my business Instagram. I usually post stuff out there. I do a lot of liking, but it's it's H uh, H Real Estate M G R Bob Friend. You can follow me on Instagram. Bob, it's always a huge thrill to get to spend some time with you. You're obviously one of my all time favorites. You've made this show into a lot of what it became because you came on a show 10 years ago that you never heard of with a guy you never heard of. And that really got me launched. And I can't thank you enough for everything you've done for me, the content you've shared over the years, and what a wonderful friend that you've become. Thank you so much. Well, Chris, you do a wonderful job. And again, my invitation stands, Oakmont Country Club, fall of 2024, you and me, brother. I'm looking forward to it. Trust me, I'm going to hold you to it because I can't no, wait to do in, it. baby. You're in, baby. <laughs> I appreciate you, Bob. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and the family. We'll catch up again soon. Same, Chris. Hey, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. God bless. Thanks. Same to you. Take care, Bob. Right. That is the great Bob Friend Jr., folks, and a finer individual you will not meet ever in life. He has just been such a wonderful friend and a, and a mentor to me and, and, a, and a great guest over the many times he has been a part of this show uh, 18 times. I mean, that. That says a lot for who Bob Friend is and uh, how he came on a show. Like I say, that he he never heard of the guy, never heard of the show, but he was willing to do it and uh, has become just an integral part of the, this show's growth over the years. And he shared so many wonderful stories about his playing career, about his father, his family. I can't thank him enough. Hopefully we get the opportunity to catch up with him again real soon. And I'm going to take him up on Oakmont in the fall of 2024. Can't wait for that to happen.
Coming up next is going to be one of the top 100 instructors in our game, a guy who has been named such for over a decade now, and like Bob Friend, just one of the most wonderful people that you'll ever meet in this game, and that is Eric Johnson. Before I get to Eric, and folks, do you sway in your off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried squares? Try the new Speed Bolt at squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z dot com. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strands designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com to learn more about the two-play special and book your tee time today. Again, that's CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com. Speaking of a guy who has been on this show 18 times, so has my next guest, Eric Johnson. Eric is a a top 100 instructor in our game, but like Bob Friend, one of my all-time favorite people on the planet, he's also been a great friend of the show. He's also been a huge part of this show's success going back to the, the first season that we did this show. No one makes a segment more fun or one that I enjoy being a part of more than Eric does. Let me give you some some background on E. He played his college golf and was a four-year letterman at Mississippi State from 1992 to 95. He helped them win back-to-back Kroger intercollegiate titles in 94 and 95. Golf Magazine has named him a top 100 instructor every year since 2011. He was also recognized by Golf Digest as a top 40 under 40 teacher. He is a three-time Tri-State Section PGA Teacher of the Year. He is also a four-time winner of the Horton Smith Award for his contributions to education. He played out on the Canadian Tour, the Sunshine Tour, and the Golden Bear Tour. He was the Director of Instruction at Oakmont Country Club for many years. He is now the Director of Instruction at Yellowstone Club in Big Sky, Montana. He is back in Pittsburgh for the winter, and I am honored he is back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, how are you, my friend? Chris, my man. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, what a what a wonderful show, with the exception of Friendly there. <laughs> I'm glad I'm on second. <laughs> I'm glad he hung up the phone. I am too. I, I, he'll probably text me tomorrow. You son of a yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, e, you tell me you're back in Pittsburgh now after another great season out there at Yellowstone Club in Montana. Talk about how it went in Montana this year. Yeah, it was an amazing year. Uh, it was my best one out there for sure. Uh, our new director of golf, Drew Glover, is just knocking it out of the park, and it was it was amazing to be out there. And and uh, Worth can't describe the beauty of this place. I mean, it, until you really see it, people don't, you know, kind of understand how amazing it is. And um, you know, we lost unfortunately Mr. Weiskopf, but uh, we had some great tributes to him this year, and uh, he was such a such a tremendous human uh and i will miss him every day he was uh he was just a wonderful wonderful human um i know in his earlier part of his career he got that you know volcano kind of 
personality and and he was but uh in the latter part uh he figured it out quit drinking uh he was just uh just a superhuman and uh i'll miss him so it was an yeah. amazing year i caught a ton of fish <laughs> not that the <laughs> listeners want to know about that but i slayed him on the trout stream this year i mean i'm telling you i i i, I just i pestered my poor friend uh uh patrick boyle i kept sending him video after video of me catching fish after fish i'm like hey wish you were here not <laughs> <laughs> so i got under his skin i think he blocked me after a while anyway. <laughs> are, you, are you a catch and release guy or are you eating the fish oh shit i let them all go back yeah no they need to live they need to live in the beauty of montana and i'm just there to see him and say hi and let him go you know no i don't i don't get i don't keep any of them so, E, for our listeners who've never even considered Montana as a golf destination, have you ventured off Yellowstone and seen other great courses that we should definitely have on our list to go check out? Oh, absolutely. We have we have three within a few miles. Uh, Spanish Peaks, unbelievable. Uh, Moonlight Basin, where they, they filmed uh, or the match. And uh, it's amazing. I mean, you you drive for miles, like five, you go. Like, Am I going the right way? And there's a sign that says, "Yeah, keep going that way, keep going that way." I mean, it's out there in the middle of nowhere, and it is extraordinary. But yeah, you know, I mean, Montana has so much great golf. I think it's Black Bull down in Bozeman, and uh, you know, Stock Farm, and all those great places out there. I mean, uh, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't think it was because the season's only four months, but holy cow, is it unbelievable! uh the and the views and the vistas that's the thing that really cracks me up about you know yc is that you stand on three and four and you just look at you know miles and miles of 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 mountain ranges and it's just it's stunning i i have no words i can't articulate it um i'm having more fun out there than i ever have in my career and um and that's the truth i mean Listen, I love Oakmont. I love Bobby, but Oakmont is such a rule-oriented club. I mean, you got to play in four hours. You, you know, you you have to have all these rules. You can't use cell phones. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, I mean, we're out there. It's just everyone seems to be out there, just going, "Holy cow, I'm in Montana and I'm enjoying my life." And not trying to get philosophical, but I think I think people need to enjoy their lives a little bit more because we're not here on this earth for a long time. And, you know, and when you see a place that's wide open like that and just says, enjoy your day, you know, my God, what's more, what a novel concept, have fun on a golf course. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a cool place. I, I just, it's a, it's a very special place. It's uh, unlike anything I've ever seen. I mean, you know, we had, we had Nick Faldo there last year, and I, I saw Nick at the – this true story. Chris, you can't make this up. I saw him at the grocery store, and I'm like, hey, Mr. Faldo. Uh, and he goes, hello, hello. You know, the, he always says everything twice. If you didn't notice that, it's kind of like Mo Norman. But uh, <laughs> I said, welcome to Montana. He goes, oh, thank you, thank you. And off he goes. He put his little buggy in the little cart return thing, and then off he went in his car. I was like, what in the heck is Nick Faldo doing at a grocery store? <laughs> what? you'd think he'd have somebody for that but uh but then he came up later in the year and he played with ming ming sai our our uh, executive chef at baba and uh played with drew glover and his wife and uh 
And so we've said, we're like, well, what do we say? You got Nick Faldo there. Uh, what do you call him? Because we're a first name only club. I mean, if Justin Timberlake comes in, hey, Justin, hey, Tom Brady, hey, Tom, hey, you know, um, Bill Gates, hey, Bill, um, which is quite funny. And uh, I said, what do you call him? Do you call him Sir Nick? Or do you? <laughs> and, and our director of golf goes, eh, we'll just call him Nick. It's a first name only club. So we're like, hey, Nick, what's up? How you doing, man? You know, we took a picture. It's hilarious. <laughs> That's great. Eric, I had Kelly Stenzel on the show a couple of months ago. Kelly said you guys did a clinic together up there this summer. Talk about that. We did. We had a, a top 100 teacher school. I had uh, I had Stan Utley a couple of years ago in, and we did a short game only school. And and I had the idea of bringing in some, uh, you know, some great, you know, teaching professionals and do a school. And we did uh, three days. It was unbelievable. Um, great turnout. We did a morning session. We did an afternoon session. And we had a nine-hole playing uh, lesson uh, that you could sign up for, too. And it was very well received. We had Kelly Stenzel. We had Carly Snyder from Cabo in and... And they just knocked it out of the park. I mean, I think that our members love those girls more than they love me because they keep asking <laughs> if they're coming back. <laughs> about me. I'm like, hey, what about me over here? I set it up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, they really just did an awesome job. I mean, it was, we, we, we really grinding, you know. I mean, we started early and we went to noon and then we went to, uh, you know, at nine to noon. I mean, had lunch real quick and then we went on to four and then we went four to six thirty in this playing lesson. So I, these girls, uh, they did an awesome job. They worked hard. They were, their, their content is so good, you know, and when you get Kelly and Carly and, uh, and, you know, together and, you know, just to see the way they work hard and, you know, it was funny. Um, someone said, you know, I, I was a little confused after the pitching, you know, and Kelly said, let me find that person and go go find out what that was about. And and that's just the professional that Kelly is. She wants everybody to understand what we're talking about. And uh and she's awesome. I mean, she's she's I've known Kelly for a long, long time. I think she was gotten the top on her a couple of years in front of me. I think hers was 2009, and she just deserves every bit of it. She's just awesome. Great professional. Love that girl. Eric, one of the themes of this week's show was golf there in western Pennsylvania. I had Chris Sheehan on the show last week. He said you were recently out of Pittsburgh Field Club and remarked to him about the great condition that that golf course is in. Talk about PFC. Yeah, I saw him in the grocery store, of all things, and I said, Christian, I can't, I can't tell you. I mean, you know, I was at Oakmont for 17 years. I've been in the section for all these years, and I have never seen it better in my life. And uh, my son was playing in a high school match and he shot 38 and uh, lost by eight to little Davy Fuhrer, which uh, uh, the grandson of Frank Fuhrer, which Bobby was talking about there. I heard that. And uh, little David shot 30 at the P Pittsburgh Field Club. And that is not a golf course that people shoot 30. That's how great this this young man is. I mean. He birdied two, three, four, five, six, seven. I mean, and and I look at it and I just go, wow, I, I just don't see the front nine of field club being a place where you shoot 30. Um, but it is absolutely 
in the best shape I have ever in my life seen it. And I've been in the section since 94. So I'm a Mississippi Stater. You do the math, but I think that's about 30, 29, 30 years. But it, it, it's, it, it's unbelievable how good a shape it was. I, and I know people want to tar and feather me when I say this, but I think that might be the best one in Pittsburgh. Um, wow. Yeah, no, people want to turn feather me and they say, wait, how can you say that? You got an Oakmont's number five. I get it. Oakmont's unbelievable. I get it. I get it. But it's so hard you know, for <laughs> for like someone that can't play very good anymore. It's like, wow, I don't really. It's too hard. You heard Jack say, I, I, I the game's too hard. I ran out of golf balls. That's what I feel like when I play Oakmont anymore. I, I just don't, <laughs> you know, I, I just in the field club, they've got great members. I mean. When you think about the greats, I mean, you know, obviously you could think about the big six, obviously Oakmont, Laurel Valley, Pittsburgh Field Club, Fox Chapel, Longview, Allegheny. I mean, all private clubs that are that are phenomenal. I love Laurel. I love Oakmont. Please. I was there for 17 years of my career. It has such a soft spot in my heart, but it's so darn hard that um, and I heard, you know, Bobby talk about, you know, changing that golf course. and. And I'm kind of a little bit with Ben, you know, you kind of go, wow, I mean, you really want to change this? I mean, it's so good. Um, but, you know, time marches on and we'll see. And I think from everything that I hear, it sounds phenomenal. So uh, I, I haven't, you know, I've only been home for, you know, about three weeks now and I haven't seen it yet. And I haven't walked it. So, but I can't wait to see it. And 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 they've always been innovative and i i do appreciate that you know i mean started with that tree program in 96 97 we cut them at night you know and i know i've said this bob ford's wife was mad at him that she was they were standing in the kitchen one night and said bob do you have a chainsaw out there and he said no and she's still mad <laughs> they were cut them at night and uh uh she's like you didn't you lied to me well i didn't lie i just said i didn't hear it you know <laughs> so uh, he, uh you know he's got some explaining to do there <laughs> so yeah but uh you know and then and then you then you think about you know like cranberry highlands and old stonewall here in pittsburgh really great golf courses and then you know i i have uh, the luxury of playing uh Katanning country club every uh most every tuesday with the with guys up there they 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 let go of their professional a couple of years ago and they said can you help out can you teach a little bit when you're home i know you're going to yellowstone i'm like guys i'd rather just pay and be a member and they're like well how about you just help us out and then you know so i i go up there and play with cliff forrest who owns uh uh Penn breweries iron city light and icy light and iron city and and uh, so we partake in a few of those each Tuesday, which is great. <laughs> no doubt. And, yeah, it's, one, it's my favorite. And uh, and Tony Calandra, Jen Mar, and Joe Avi and Randy Schreiber and all the boys up there. I mean, I'm just so lucky to in my life to be able to do those things and uh, to hang with my friends. And and uh, every Tuesday, it, it, it's, an, it's a treat. It reminds me of my home club of Titusville Country Club. Where Gene Sarazen was the head professional, and I want to say nineteen nineteen to twenty one, um, which reminds wow. me, when I went to we went to uh, Augusta. Fred Brand used to take us to Augusta, and he would fly us down. We'd be the first on the plane, and we'd go to Augusta, and we we walked out onto the 
onto the terrace at, at, at the, the Masters, and you're up on the second floor there, and there's Gene Sarazen. And he's sitting all by himself, and it's Monday. And so Fred Brand was like 6'5", monster of a human. And he walked over and said, Who got it for you, 1920 in the Pennsylvania Open? And little Gene Sarazen looked up and said, You did, Freddie, you did. You know, <laughs> it was, I'll never forget it. And, uh, and then so we went back to Augusta with Mr. Usher and, and we walked onto the second floor. I looked out and I'm like, there's Gene Sarazen. And then he wasn't there. And I looked at everyone. And I said, did anyone see just, just see Gene Sarazen? They're like, Eric, maybe you need to lay off the Iron Cities. I said, I haven't had anybody. I think he was there. <laughs> so he was, uh, yeah, what an amazing, amazing memory. That no was, doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of great golfie that you get to play, you were telling me that you went out to Southern California and you played Monterey Peninsula Country Club, Pebble Beach, Cypress Point, and Spanish Bay back in yeah. September. Talk about a great golf trip. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was an amazing trip. So uh, a couple of good friends of mine at uh, the Yellowstone Club, Mike Michelson and Peter Cowie, uh, every year we go on a trip. And, it, you know, it happened the first year I was there, they said, Hey, you want to go to Bandon? We're leaving on Monday. And I said, yeah, I do. And, uh, so, uh, we went out to Bandon and we've gone to Gaza. And then, so this year they said, um, where do you think we should go this year? And I said, man, I don't know. I mean, we went to Bandon, Gaza. And, and then Peter said, you know, doc says he can get us on uh, Cypress. And I said, you know what? I think we should do that. Yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> let's think, let's think about this. Yes. And, uh, so, long story, Fritz Sullivan's a, a minority uh, share owner of Pebble, and they were at a party, and and, he, and Peter said, hey, are you still at the Meyer night? He goes, yeah, you know, I am. And he goes, well, if you need anything, let me know. He goes, well, some perfect are playing Cypress. So, he goes, yeah, give me a week. And a week later, we had a tea time on, you know, Pebble Beach, and, you know, and then we played the Monterey Peninsula Country Club, which was amazing. Uh, Pebble was iconic, and then you play Cyprus, which is without a doubt my number one in the United States of America. I just I, I fell in love with it. I walked off the you know the golf course, and Casey, the head professional director of golf, was there, and I said, Casey, this how anyone could not see this as number one in the United States of America? I I, I can't see. It. I I don't know. I mean, it's that good. Um. And then a member would happen to be standing there and we started shooting the breeze and a guy named Murray Bodine and he, he, he walked in and he gave me the book. He goes, I want you to have this book of this architecture of, of, you know, Alistair McKenzie and Cypress Point. And I was, oh my God, I, I, it, it installed my uh, belief in the United States of America that pe good people are still out there. And it was, it was amazing. Uh, and I played Pine Valley a couple of weeks ago. And in my opinion, I've, and maybe it's the mystique of I played there, I played Pine Valley probably 30 times with McGraws and, and, uh, but I just, I fell in love with Cypress. I, you get the seals barking, you get the, you know, the seagulls and the, everything flying around on the ocean. And it's just, uh, it's amazing. I texted our, our friend Nathan Smith, who, uh, should definitely do that sh your show. And, uh, I said, Nathan, you're the Walker Cup captain and 
you're at my favorite place in the United States of America. The golf course is that great. Uh, I said, I can't wait to see you. You know, Nathan's a, he's an assassin. I mean, he's, his golf is, is outrageously good. He is a mind. He's like a Jedi mind scrambler. I'm, I'm telling you, this guy has Jedi effect on people. Like he just knows how to get in people's head. If you like to play fast, he plays slow. If you like to play slow, he plays fast. I mean, he's he just all over the place. He is, uh, he's amazing. And he will, he will, he will guide that team to a win. Unlike our poor Ryder Cup, you know, captains can't seem to do, but Nathan will bring home a win. So, okay. Now we got to take that step because I need to understand uh, from your opinion, why can't we get this Ryder Cup thing right? Why do we keep losing to these guys? I have no idea. We've got the best talent in the world and they just, it's like they play tight. It's in their head. Chris, I can't explain it. Um, there seems to always, I mean, it goes back years ago when we've all said we need to get paid and, and you know what? I I heard I heard friendly say Greg Norman is a cancer. Um, maybe Greg Norman was right. Uh, I believe my member Phil Mickelson was correct. I said this to you in the past. I think he's the smartest man in the room. They they pointed out something that was going on that you know there's where, where's the money go like you know. Where 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 is it going? I, we don't know. Um, now the the guys make hundreds of millions. The PGA of America makes hundreds of millions of dollars for the Ryder Cup, and where does it go? And so Duval had a kind of a legit point, in my opinion. I know people want to tar and feather me over that one too, but he kind of does have a good point. Where is all this money going? And and they said, well, we're going to give the guys two hundred thousand. To their charity. Well, okay. I mean, they win a tour event. They make three million. And this is, you know, I mean, come on. Uh, you know, when money gets involved and egos get in the way and, you know, there's some stuff that goes on there. Uh, in my opinion, they seem to play very tight. Um, the Europeans, like they get together, they sing songs, they drink beer, they have fun. I, you know, I think they kind of got the, the 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 second side of it correct they they seem to be more friendly they seem to be more play for their country their town uh not that this has any relevance to it but we used to go play oakmont versus Loch loman cup matches and they were playing for their town their club their 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 country and we were trying to drink them out of scotch you know and you're like guys <laughs> we're here to win <laughs> you know? like i want to win like i want that silver scabbard like i want to win and uh so we had to reel the guys in a little bit, but there's a different, there's a different, uh, in my opinion, and you know I don't want to hate my all. In my opinion, they they seem to have a little bit more of a, it's it's about winning and it's about coming together, where our guys seem to be a little bit aloof and they seem to be a little bit out there. I mean, we're going to have live players, we're not going to have live players. Did we send our best team? Did we not? I would say maybe we didn't. Um, you know, controversial pick. Uh, you know, I mean, when they say, oh, you can't leave Justin Thomas out. Okay, well, um, Lucas Glover won two in a row and was like on a hot streak. He's running a heater. So 
you kind of pick the guys that are on a hot streak, you know, but, and I get it. Like Justin Thomas, I, I wouldn't want to face him. Uh, Roy McElroy said that there's a lot of other players I want to face. Um, but I don't know. I, you know, we just, it seems like we're getting in our own way. It seems like the Europeans make it more about European team and that culture of getting together and being a team. I, I, and I guess finally, I just think we look like we're playing tight. We think like we should win and we're not. And so now it's getting in their domes. And that's unfortunately, I don't have the answer. If I did, I'd be the Ryder Cup captain. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's switch things up a little bit. I, w- I want to get a playing lesson from you. And yeah. Um, Starting to get cold in, in your neck of the woods. The, the turf conditions, once, the, once the, the temperature starts to fall, turf conditions get tougher. The ground gets harder. Lies get tighter. Most of us can't go out there and change up our irons and our wedges based on the time of year. So what are some things that you think we need to do as the temperature drops and we're playing in the cold weather in the mornings and the early part of the afternoons or late in the evenings and that ground's tight? What do we do differently to make sure that we are not thinning the ball over the green and chunking it five feet in front of us? Yeah, so that's a great question. I mean, first of all, when it gets colder, the ball goes shorter. And unfortunately, mine goes shorter and shorter every day. I mean, (laughs) there used to be a day where I was like, wow, I hit that pretty good. And now I go, wow, that's all it went. So uh, (laughs) so that's why I try not to play when it gets cold. Uh, I love to play out west where it, Kind of goes a long ways at 9,000 feet up there. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of cool. But uh, when you get back here, use more clubs. You know, when it gets a little, when it gets to the fairways get a little firmer, you know, you got to tack down on it just a hair more. Uh, so the shaft lean is imperative that you're you're hitting down on the ball a little more, catching the ball first, uh, especially in hard conditions, you know, there's legendary stories about Hogan growing up and, you know, how sharp the leading edge was on his irons because he, you know, was so firm in Texas and he, you know, needed to catch into the ground. So, I mean, to me, shaft shaft angle and shaft lean is, is imperative. Um, if you bounce the bounce, you know, behind it, you're going to hit off the, you know, the, the ground and it's going to, you're going to skull it. So, you have to have some shaft lean and uh, that that use more club. It's cold and and really start leaning that shaft a little more and catching the ball first would be my my best advice for that one. Eric, before I let you go, and I know you've never been a social media guy, so folks listening in that that want to stay up to date with you or are looking to get lessons, whether it's in the Western Pennsylvania area or looking ahead to next year when you go back out to Montana, how can they find you? Come on, man. I posted something about you, you know, did the, not. I did. I did. I posted about the, the Cypress trip and how much I loved it. <laughs> Where did that was you a month ago something? or so. I mean, like, I'm on it. <laughs> Where? Where? So, yeah, I got to find it. Come on, man. We're friends. Uh, all um, right. <laughs> so, Facebook, Eric Johnson Golf. Um, uh, I keep saying this. I'm going to do more on. Yeah, of course you are. Twitter and whatever. And I'm. <laughs> <laughs> on there too and eric johnson golf and what is it now x and uh yep. instagram i know you know my my man patrick kane used to uh 
post a bunch of stuff when on Instagram for me, and I I'll, I'll revisit how to do that. But <laughs> I'm on, I I'm there, and uh, you know I just want to thank the Golf Magazine guys, and I was voted in for the 23 and 24 year as well for the Golf Magazine Top 100 Teachers, and uh, also want to thank you for always being there for me and. I've said this, you're so prepared. I don't know how you know all this stuff about me. It's like uh, you're wiretapped in my house or something. I don't (laughs) don't know how you know all this stuff, but it's kind of freaky, but I love it. And and you're the man. Yeah, I get it. When you come up and play with Friendly, you know, come up and play Longview. It is unbelievable. And and then you want to see a real thing of beauty. You come out and play YC. Mr. Weisskopf did a amazing 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 job out there so yeah i want to come to montana so bad i keep telling my wife we need to move to montana she's not buying into that but i want to come to montana so too. bad <laughs> <laughs> you and i are having the same problem brother i know it i want to come yeah. to come to montana so bad so hopefully i can make that trip happen sometime while you're there well you come out and see us you won't be disappointed it's i uh, know it it's a slice of heaven out there i just love it Eric, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show an 18th time tonight. I can't thank you enough for everything that you've meant to me in this show over the years. You are absolutely one of my favorite people on the planet. You're uh, you're just a gem, my friend. It's an absolute honor to talk to you every time. I was so fired up today. I was looking at my clock going, oh, my God, I can't, it's a couple hours. I can't wait to talk to Chris. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. And I'm, I'm shocked that a little kid from Titusville, Pennsylvania ever gets on anything. but. I, I really appreciate it, Chris. I appreciate you, sir. Same here. Take care, E. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up again soon. Yes, sir. See you, Eric. You. Bye-bye. That is the great Eric Johnson, folks. Top 100 instructor every year for the last decade and just one of the great people you get to meet in, in course of doing a show like this or in the golf industry. He is, uh, he is a gem of a human being. He is uh, obviously being a top 100 instructor, you know, he's a great instructor. Well, he's a 10 times better person than he is an instructor. So that tells you what you need to know about Eric Johnson. And again, just like Bob friend before him, Eric came on a show. He never heard of with a guy he never heard of 10 years ago. And, uh, he keeps coming back. And I am so blessed that I get to say that not only do I get to have one of the top 100 instructors in our game as a, a fairly regular guest, but he is a friend on top of that. So. Uh, a huge blessing to to me in this show and uh, to all of us in the golf world because a great, a better instructor, you're not going to find anywhere on the planet. So Eric has done so many great things there at Oakmont for for a- almost 20 years and now out at uh, out at Yellowstone. Uh, to tell you the truth, Montana is just a place that I am dying to go check out and be a part of. And that golf course is just so beautiful. It's private, so... I, I encourage you to go check it out just to take a look. But some of the other courses that Eric mentioned in and around that area are just as breathtaking. The views, he talked about the vistas, the views out there in Montana. Golf in Montana is so underrated. You got to go check out those those courses. Check them out online and then do yourself a favor. Make one of your buddy trips out to Montana. I know that is one of the places that I want to go. Hopefully I get to do it while Eric is still out there because I want to see Yellowstone from all the things that he has said about it. We'll get Eric back on the show again soon, folks. I can't wait for that time. It's 18, already looking forward to 19. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. 
And another one that stood out to me is on-point golf. Game-changing, three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furyk and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Tee. want to send out my sincere thanks again to John Cook, John Mahaffey, Bob Friend Jr., and Eric Johnson for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are, of course, our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, will be back with us, as will Champions Tour pro Rob LaBritz. Really looking forward to having Rob back as part of the show. PGA Tour Superstore COO Randy Peich will be here, as will another one of the top 100 instructors in our game, John Hughes. So a lot of great stuff on tap for you next week. I hope you'll come back, tune in, and be a part of it with us. You can find this show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcast content. But in particular, we are out there on TribLive.com and the Pittsburgh Tribune Review site. So just go to TribLive.com, click on Sports and then Podcasts, and you're going to find the show front and center available free for you there. You can also find the show out on Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audio Boom, and Player.fm. And as always, thank you so much to the folks over at Good Pods for making this show one of their recommended podcasts and a staff pick. Please download their free app and stream your favorite podcast right there on your favorite device. But most of all, my sincere thanks to all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.